Two of the factors that really influence change are the scale and the pace. And what we're experiencing right now is the pace of change is happening um, and the scale of change is happening in a way that it hasn't happened before. So for many organizations, they're laying off more people than they maybe ever have in their whole history in a matter of days or weeks um, or completely shutting down parts of their business that will probably never reopen. the job hunting podcast. I'm your host Renata Bernardi. I'm a virtual career coach, a job hunting expert and a career strategist. I am here to support professionals in the corporate sector, not-for-profit and public sectors to have the careers that they want, to job hunt with ease and not feel stressed or overwhelmed when they are in between jobs and looking to advance in their careers. If you are an ambitious professional and you're keen to have a robust career plan above and beyond COVID-19 pandemic, this is the podcast for you. We will be addressing COVID-19 many times, but we're also uh, long-term thinkers and this episodes and these interviews should be listened to whenever you access this podcast. They, you know, they're not time sensitive in any way. I hope that you enjoy this interview with Sandy Hutchinson. In addition to the Job Hunting Podcast, I have created a series of tools and resources that I have given for free for my followers. And to access them, the best way is to sign up for the Reset Your Career community. This means that I will be able to let you know whenever there is a free resource and I can send it directly to you. I will send you a weekly newsletter with a job hunting podcast, a new episode, and I will keep you in the loop about everything that's going on. So if you look at the show notes and go to my website, you will find the link. Give me your email. I will not share it with anyone. It's just so that we start this relationship, this conversation, and I can help you with your career. So just to give you an idea about what I do, I have the Job Hunting Podcast, but I also have a weekly live coaching session that I do on Facebook every week on Thursdays, and then I record it and it's available on YouTube and also on my website. I have an online course called the Job Hunting Made Simple course. You can register your interest at the moment and it will be available again in a couple of weeks if you want to register. And of course, I have my private clients, which I coach ongoing. So have a look at my website. If you go to my website, you can also see all the links to my social media channels and you can follow me wherever you feel more comfortable or you enjoy doing your social media catch ups. So let's keep in touch. Okay. And I don't know where you found this podcast, but it is available on iTunes, Spotify, YouTube, Google, and of course, on my website. So wherever you found this, don't forget to subscribe. Sandy Hutchinson is the CEO and founder of Career Money Life. Now, my company is certified provider of Career Money Life, which is fantastic because there are not many ways that career coaching and the services that I do can be certified in any other way. 
What it means is that I have gone through a very sort of thorough review and audit of all of the things that I do and have been approved to be on the this digital platform together with other service providers. And this has completely pivoted the way that professional development and outplacement to employees made redundant have been done forever and ever. It gives the employees a lot of freedom and independence to choose how they want uh, and with whom they want to invest their benefits and how they want to progress with their careers. So for example, they can choose my services and they can see my benefits there and they can compare and contrast that with other service providers on that platform. And if they want career coaching, they can, of course, choose me or other career coaches on the platform, or they can decide that they'd rather do business coaching or see a financial advisor. So it's really up to the employees and the former employees made redundant to pick and choose whatever they want. I love this philosophy and this idea of giving more power to the employees and to professionals. If you've been following this podcast, you would know that. So I see Sandy as a trailblazer and somebody that has come before me in this space. And Sandy was one of the first people that I reached out to when I was developing my ideas for this project, you know, the project being the podcast and my services and the online course. And she gave me some valuable advice and she's a great mentor and great supporter. So I'm definitely very keen for you to listen to this interview and I hope you enjoy it. So we will be talking about redundancies, redundancies, you know, her redundancy, my redundancy, redundancies before COVID-19 and how are they being done now? I mean, it's such a completely different space. And I was really keen to ask Sandy questions about redundancies during COVID-19. And then we move on to talk about options for those that have been made redundant, how to invest their time and money and in what they should be investing their time and money. I hope that you find this valuable and hope that you also keep in touch and listen to past and future episodes of the Job Hunting Podcast. Enjoy the interview. Ciao for now. So tell me a little bit about how you came to have the career that you have and founded Career Money Life. Okay. Well, thanks. Nice to meet you, Renata. <laughs> so I, I, I'd love to say I was one of those people that had like a really strategic plan and everything mm. had been, you know, on a 20-year plan in terms of my career, but it's not like that at all. You know, I, I'm originally from Canada. I've moved here like 24 years ago because I met an Aussie and came for personal reasons. But, you know, I had studied philosophy and political science and I worked in politics and I worked in, in government in Canada. And so when I came to Australia, I kind of had to start all over again. I didn't know anyone other than my husband. I had to, in my 30s, I had to like 
rebuild and, and redefine myself. And I ended up working in the private sector uh, in consulting and um, the work I'd done in government related to privatizing the air traffic control system in Canada. So it was a huge project, lots of complex HR and people issues. And I'd come from a background in communications and, and uh, media and found myself sort of working in the employee space at Mercer, which is ironically a Canadian company originally, but and started working around employee engagement, career, uh, sorry, transition and organizational change and ended up spending, I arrived here and got the job within six weeks and spent 16 years at Mercer and Marsha McLennan, the parent company. So taking on lots of different roles, I became a partner, was the youngest partner, the first female partner, first partner to go on parental leave, to work part-time. So in those days, quite a, quite a trailblazer on a lot of fronts. Ended up working for the parent company and taking on different roles in business development and then moved in-house to uh, the HRD role for Asia Pacific for Marsh McLennan. And then things shifted structurally and change of global CEO and I found myself being made redundant, which was an interesting experience in its own right. Mm, um, yes. Now I remember that. Uh, that makes so much sense because I also remember the way that we met was because you used to run a women in leadership series at Mercer. And at, back then, it sounds so normal now, but back then, <laughs> it was. No a, one did that. <laughs> no one did that. And uh, it was lovely. And I remember us flocking into the uh, old office that Mercer used to have. What was that exhibition? When a, when a, yeah, an exhibition, yeah. Yes, an, exhibition, the Boop Office now. Yes, and that was uh, fantastic. And that was also. I don't know if you remember this, but that's when I realized how different women are because you would get a wonderful speaker and she would, you know, say how her experience was. And then somebody on the floor was like, but I don't have any kids <laughs> or, you know, I have five kids, you know, that's so different for me. So we, we realized that just because we were all women, we were quite different. I don't know if you remember that, but that was like, yeah, a very special moment for me. And um, I stopped putting all the eggs in one basket <laughs> after that. Okay, so you were made redundant. What next? What did you um, Well, it was, it was a really interesting process for me because, you know, I had been, you know, I had been kind of on a, a, a sort of fast track. You know, I was on the, you know, succession plan for the CEO and all of these things. And so you have this sort of frame about your career and and what you're capable of and then all of a sudden somebody tells you something different like and it, and it's it's really hard not to internalize that and not to you know kind of fundamentally undermine your self-belief your confidence it's like who am I if I don't have a business card that says I'm in this role and and am I still a valuable person and how do I introduce myself to people and there's a lot of you know really raw emotions that you need to work through um, when you get made redundant and I think you know regardless of who you are um, they're saying most people are going to go through that at least two or three times you know at the moment it's it's everyone's going through it so I think it's been completely normalized now but I guess through that process I I decided to take a little bit of time out. I had young kids. I've been working full on Asia pack role, traveling extensively. And, and over that period of time, I guess I got a chance to really think about what mattered to me and what I loved about my 
jobs and the work I had done. And, you know, it really came back to me about impacting on people and individuals and affecting change in people's lives. And I just saw that the career transition space was one of those areas where the model was still kind of stuck in 1984. Binders, you know, bad offices, men in bad suits kind of, um, and the world had moved on so much since then. So I came up with this idea of creating a model of career transition that was actually centered around the employee and enabling them. And, you know, a lot of the research I did in terms of understanding and building the business, you know, showed from a psychological point of view, giving people choice regardless of actually what the choices are, but just the mere idea of giving people choice fundamentally is a positive thing for their mental health. It, it makes them feel in control again, and it makes them feel like they're competent. And so that was really the premise behind the whole platform of Career Money Life was to enable people to make their own choices about what services they want and, and how to use those, um, that, 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 sort of value of the credit that's been provided by the company. So I started very slowly sort of thinking, wow, this is an idea and should I actually build a business and how do I go about doing that? And, um, you know, talk to lots and lots and lots of people um, on the HR side, the employee side, the, the supplier side. And that was fundamentally so important in terms of kind of designing and building what what we ended up building um, because we had all of that input early on um, and so we've been running now five years we have um, over 60 clients we're we're profitable we're um, our biggest client is virgin and we're working really closely with them trying to help as much as we can at the moment so mm. you know um, I kind of feel like I've never been able to sit back and draw a breath and go wow we've done it but you know it is nice to sort of have hit a few of those milestones along the way and um but what really drives me and which i'm i guess living and breathing every day at the moment is being able to support and help people through what is usually one of the most difficult times of their life yes i agree i agree and it seems like uh, uh, that your redundancy was sprung on you or, or were you prepared over a few few months was uh, it something no. that was a surprise uh look there was a change of um to my boss who i had a fantastic relationship with left and and somebody else came into the role they it wasn't so much a personality thing they just had a different idea about yep. structure um yep. and and so it was it was um they were in new york i was here they called me for our regular catch-up i remember it was actually on my son's birthday at like oh. seven in the morning and you know and and yep. look, she did a great job for what she had to do and 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 look i I didn't blame her or any of those things, but it, you know, that moment still sticks with you. And I think that's really important for HR yes. and managers to know that, you know, each time you're having that conversation with someone, it will, it will be something they remember and they'll remember how you treated them and how they yes. felt. And, um, you know, that can really make a difference if there's respect and dignity there. Yeah, no, that's what I was trying to figure out because what I have, um, I, I don't know, and I want to know uh, from you what you're experiencing is that this COVID-19 situation may have been such a surprise to business that I'm not sure if they have been taking the time to do this properly and you had, you know, um, a, a somewhat <laughs> um, good experience in the yeah. sense that it was done the proper way same with me it was a surprise for me uh, I wasn't expecting to be made redundant but uh, my boss did it the best possible way I had full control of how the communication was going to be made I had the best possible you know 
exit out of the organization. I chose, you know, how to exit. It was really well designed and, and, and done in a very caring way. I'm not sure that this is possible now. What are you seeing in the market? I mean, you're on the thick of it supporting organizations that are making uh, their employees redundant. What's different now? Look, I, I think a couple of things, and you know, these are kind of drivers of when you're looking at change management models, two of the factors that really influence change are the scale and the pace. And what we're experiencing right now is the pace of change is happening um, and the scale of change is happening in a way that it hasn't happened before. So for many organizations, they're laying off more people than they maybe ever have in their whole history in a matter of days or weeks um, or completely shutting down parts of their business that will probably never reopen. Mm. Um, and, and so there's, there's so much more complexity in that. In some ways, kind of ironically, there's, there's almost this, I guess, safety in numbers. So if I'm made redundant, maybe that's about me. But if everyone in my team or company or department is made redundant because of COVID-19, then it's clearly not about me. It's about a wider set of circumstances. So I, I think from an individual point of view, it maybe is a bit easier to process in some ways um, in terms of your own self, self-worth. But um, from an organizational point of view, the, the complexity of trying to navigate individual needs and caring for people while managing at scale is, is, you know, a real tension. And I really feel for HR teams right now, they are absolutely at the pointy end of all of this, you know, trying to lay people off and manage JobKeeper and manage working from home and manage, you know, clients' needs and have pretty much all been told to not spend a cent. And, you know, it is a very tough time for our HR community right now. It is, it is. Um, and I, I think that we, because we know now about the mental um, health issues and, and how empathetic and caring we need to be, it's very different from the 80s. I don't know if <laughs> I'm old enough to remember, oh, yeah, I remember the 80s, right? And I think you probably remember as well. And I was young, but I remember my dad as a manager of people making others redundant how much he struggled with that and how that impacted his well-being and 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 my dad went through months of being quite unhappy and feeling really down uh, because of what he had to do to keep the businesses going so he was in telecommunications mm-hmm. at a time when things used to go up and down up yeah and down. And there were, uh, I remember there were times when he had to make 400 people redundant in one day. And that was really troubling for him. And especially in a country like Brazil, where I'm from, where there's no safety net. Yeah. Uh, We know better now and governments know better as well. So there is a lot of incentives for businesses to keep workers if they can. Um, Are you seeing that happening? Is it, um, how are businesses coping between keeping them on job keepers versus uh, restructuring and laying off completely? Look, it's it's a really complex um, 
dynamic. So you've, you know, I was, I was speaking with a, a friend who has um, a 17 year old that works a casual shift and her daughter is eligible and is getting $1,500 and she, she does one shift. You got <laughs> Same with my son. My son yeah. is doing zero shifts and getting yeah. $1,500 because he works for the Rod Laver Arena and Etihad. They're closed. They're closed. But yeah. he's getting job keepers. So. Job keepers. So, you know, the kid's still living at home. So, yeah. and then you've got, you know, other organizations where um, there's real confusion about the number of hours and, you know, people are saying, well, if you're, if you're getting paid this much, then you need to work this much. But they say, but I only worked one shift a week. So why should, so I think there's a lot of confusion. I mean, I understand the program was put in place really quickly and it, it's kind of, you know, it's the 80, 20 rule. Um, but I, I think that's, that's created some challenges. Um, Cause sometimes people feel like maybe they'd be better off on job seeker than job keeper and, you know, different things. But look, I think what I've seen is organizations kind of went through this shock phase where it was like, oh my God, you know, what is happening? And then thinking, how do we function? Moving people to um, working from home, looking for the government support. And I think as that started to flow through and people have understood the complexity behind that, they're now at the point I'm seeing a lot of companies making decisions saying, you know, financial year end is coming. Yes. Um, our projections for the next six to 12 months are not what they used to be. So even if we get through JobKeeper and things come back, they're not going to come back the way they were. Um, and so we need to make some cuts now. So I'm starting to see a lot more redundancies happening um, in organizations at this time. And I think that will, will carry through. Um, you know, I, I think there has been some of that, you know, trying to have people reduce hours, reduce salary, and many companies have put those practices in place. Um, you know, having people take leave, move leave forward, move to part-time hours. So all of that's happening. But I, I think, you know, it really depends on the business and their economics. But I think there is still a need, sadly, for, um, for you know, many organizations to make the tough call to let people go. Yes. So it was going to be my next question. So I, I really want to, uh, you half answered it, but I wanted to get a feel for you. Do you foresee um, in Australia more redundancies as a domino effect in the coming months? Yeah, sadly. Yeah. Yeah, okay. um, yeah me too. And, and do you think uh, comparing, I mean, you're from Canada. Um, I'm assuming that you're keeping a finger on the pulse mm. of other countries as well. It's very interesting how uh, similar countries in terms of being developed, developed countries are kind of going very in different directions for the first time. Like it seems like they're going in completely different directions because of the policy levers that they're taking, right? So do you think that Australia will be better off or worse off like, um, compared to a country like Canada, for example, um, such a complex system it, because Australia is such a um, you know a service um, economy that if other countries don't do well, I'm not sure that we can do well. That, that's exactly it. So I, I think in terms of the the public policy and the health settings, Australia, you know, we're so lucky to be here, the lucky country. Like you know, often Canada and Australia are very similar on you know most economic indicators and things, but because of the proximity of the US, I mean, Canada's sitting at over 60,000 cases and over 3,000 deaths and still still yeah. spiking, um, you know, where, where we've got so much lower. So I think in terms of the impact on the healthcare systems, 
we're better off. But the challenge will be, you know, Australia is hugely reliant on tourism. No one's going to be traveling to Australia. Um, we're also hugely reliant, as you know, on international students, um, a huge part of our economy. Those students aren't going to be coming either. Um, you know, our, our export markets are going to be impacted because those countries won't be, you know, building buildings and using steel and doing all the things they do. Um, and the service economy um, is also going to be impacted. And, and, you know, there's a lot of organizations here that are, you know, part of multinational companies. So if the parent company in the U.S. or Canada or Europe is badly impacted, you know, they're not going to have the budgets to be investing and in growing the businesses here. So I think, you know, there's there's going to be a long period of um, kind of transitioning to a new new, and I, I think the idea that we'll just turn the switch and go back to the way things were isn't isn't going to happen. I think it will be a tougher job market. You know, that was on the cards even before COVID nineteen. The economic indicators were suggesting that we were heading into a slower growth period, um, the future of work, automation in the workplace. And I think what we're seeing is organizations are being, you know, forced to pivot and say, okay, well, how are we going to do things more effectively, more, you know, technologically based? And so all the AI and bots and all the stuff that was kind of in the plans, people have had to go, right, let's start making this happen now. So I think that's actually going to potentially escalate some of those um, job losses that were going to happen anyway. So there's a real period where there's going to be a lot of shifting and changing in terms of what jobs are available. And I think what that means for the job seeker is the importance of reskilling and upskilling and, and doing that in the areas where there's going to be demand. Yes. So what are you seeing from um, having this platform and having so many um, uh, uh, professionals in between jobs using the platform what are people interested in right now what are they doing or do you have recommendations you know as an experienced expert in this area of what people should be doing when uh, there's so much um, uncertainty That's in the market so the, there's kind of, I guess, a few levels to it. So there's the, if you're thinking Maslow, there's kind of the base stuff. So I need a resume. Mm -hmm. um, I haven't been in the job market in 20 years. I don't even have a LinkedIn profile or I have one, but there's got very little content in it. So it's that kind of hygiene factors. I need to get, you know, job search ready. Um, and so helping people with, with that. So understanding, you know, nowadays we, uh, you know, we were saying on our social media, boring is the new sexy when it comes to CVs. So all the fancy fonts and images and your picture and tables all gone because you put that through an applicant tracking system and forget it. You're sped up the other end. It can't read it. So, you know, for a lot of people, that's like revolutionary. They had no idea that's how the game works. Um, understanding that you might have to do a video interview where there's not actually even another person on the other end of it. There's just a set of preset questions that you need to record and send in. So how do I learn to use Zoom? How do I learn to, to do a video interview? This is all completely new to me. Like, um, so there's all that kind of basic stuff that people are scrambling to get their hand, hands around and understand. Um, and so we're offering with our, some of our big clients, we do regular daily webinars and you know, they're very well subscribed on all of those things, job search, networking, LinkedIn um, to help them understand all that. And then there's kind of the next level, which is kind of 
the bigger question. So, you know, who am I and am I just going to go back to my, my old job or am I going to use this time to retrain and do something different and what skills do I have and how do I take those skills and transfer them? And so that deeper thinking piece, um, and, you know, we're seeing that with the, with the pilots right now from Virgin, for example. Um, you know, some of them just want to hang tight until they can come back. Yeah. Others are saying maybe, you know, maybe it's time for me to get out and reskill and move into something else. So what does that look like? Um, and so in terms of the services that then support that, you know, we, we partner with a lot of organizations like AIM and other um, education providers like General Assembly and different things. So we're seeing the skills piece is really important and we do recommend that for people. So okay. what we say is, you know, even if you say you've been working in project management, but you don't have any credentials. So consolidate that experience by taking a course and getting a credential. So when you go for the next job in project management, it's not just I have experience, it's I've undertaken um, a course while I was on my um, you know, job search phase um, to consolidate my learning and to have that credentialed formally. So I've got this this skill set, this experience, but I've also got this credential. And that can just be the thing that edges you into the yes pile rather than the maybe pile. Because um, A, it's showing you're proactive, you're taking initiative, um, you know, you're, you're um, committing to your career and to your personal development, you have a growth mindset, all of those things are really important. Um, so I think it's, um, it's important that people think about that but not just any you know random course it's you need to be strategic about what's going to make sense for your career mm-hmm. um, so those are the things we're seeing um, you know a lot of the coaching people really value right now some career coaching and getting getting that support um, and then there's kind of a mix of things where you know some people are getting some help with their financials because um, they're really not sure they've got a redundancy payment do I pay off the mortgage do I what do I do with it you know yes. should I take money out of super that whole side of it as well and their well-being so yeah, maybe doing some yoga there's so much to do yes <laughs> it is a lot to do but it's it's really important so we interviewed two guests previously on this podcast one was Alistair Freeman who wrote a very um, great post on LinkedIn that went viral about his experience leaving NAB having been made redundant and you know how the market understood or misunderstood him and and how he then managed to find a job in the not-for-profit sector in regional New South Wales so he was Melbourne based and that was the episode we we called it a positive redundancy because mm-hmm. he was so philosophical about it I mean he did go through some t- tough experiences with recruiters and so on but ultimately he did exactly what you said you know he took the time to think about what he actually could do with that opportunity he saw it as an opportunity and like do I need to be in Melbourne and I think more now than ever especially with remote work as an opportunity and uh, a bargaining opportunity for for future work you could actually consider moving somewhere else and we also interviewed Paul Burroughs who left PHP as a very senior exec Mm. and realized that he has all he had always loved finance as in his personal finance Uh, (laughs) to rescue and and then worked in banking for many years and is now retired but um we always like in the podcast to give those opportunities um what do you think is the 
the difference between somebody that's made redundant in their 30s versus somebody that's made redundant, let's say, in their mid-50s? Have you noticed or do you have any advice that's different between one and the other? Yeah, look, look. I think the emotional context is is quite similar um, and it's not necessarily age-related. It's, it's kind of more about the individual. But I think some of the differences that we're, we're seeing is um, people in their 30s are, are early to mid-career. Um, they maybe haven't had as long in one area of specialization. So there's still, I think, a lot more flexibility to perhaps, you know, pivot or transition into different areas. Um, also, they haven't been away from school that long that the prospect of going back to study is is so daunting and so foreign. Um, I think for people that are 55 plus, you know, that some of those things are a bit more, um, a bit scary uh, to, to imagine. Also, often, you know, they're in a position where financially they've built a lifestyle around probably a higher income at, at that stage of their career than a 30-year-old. They have potentially children and school fees and mortgages and, and other obligations. So sometimes those pressures around being able to um, look after your family and, and um, you know, provide and, and meet those financial needs are, are a lot greater. And so the stress on that group of people can be much greater about and Frankly, sadly, there is still a lot of age discrimination. So, you know, some of the things we remind people about is, you know, um, not putting when they went to high school, not if they've been out of university for over more than 15 years, don't put the years you graduated. You know, you don't have to include every job you've ever had. So leave off the early ones. Don't let them know how old you are um, because, you know, we know there's a lot of that discrimination out there. So, you know, use what you can. But I think too at that age group, there's also sometimes more financial security. And so sometimes people are then in a position where they can take some risks and you know, we're seeing a lot of kind of that um, entrepreneurial um, activity happening amongst that group where they're in a position to say, you know, I've always wanted to start a business doing this or that. And they're in a position to do those things. So there's kind of some swings and roundabouts. Um, but different that's an interesting point. I, I think that um, you um, had this opportunity to have your own business. Um, and I guess you have to go through certain things in life to enable you to actually have the financial security and the time even to, yeah. to enable a business to flourish. I have been asked, should I open a business now? And normally it is a consideration when you're a career coach and somebody's made redundant and has, you know, uh, savings and, and the redundancy package to play with and to consider opening a business. What would you say to somebody who is keen to open a business in this current environment? Because it's kind of a risky environment yeah. to open a business, right? And so I've been asking people to think many times before taking that route. Yeah, look, I, I think, um, you know, obviously it depends on what the business model is and what the services are and whether there's something that are going to be in demand. But at the same time, you know, you don't want to set up a business for a service that's going to be in demand for a short period of time. And, and you know, it's just a bubble. And then, and then you know, you haven't thought about the long term. So uh, my, my advice would be that if people are going to do that, they need to take this um, 
you know, incredibly seriously. I think people get excited about the logo and the, you know, the ideas and, you know, not the boring stuff like actually building a cash, cash flow projection and building a detailed business plan and, you know, putting those numbers together and then cutting them in half and then taking that to five people you know that are super cynical and get them to review it and then go out and talk to a whole bunch of people to find out if they would actually buy this product is there a need for this product or this service? Who else is doing it? I'm amazed at how often people run off because they've come up with a good idea and start to build a business without doing any of that research to only find out, oh, actually, you know, three companies already do this and they're, you know, three years ahead of you. And, you know, I don't want to be discouraging. I've done it my, myself, but, you know, I did spend a long time researching first and, um, you know, I, I think you need to be super, super careful, um, particularly, you know, if you're using your your personal money, your family money, or friends um, to set this up. You know, it, it, it's, it's a big step and um, you need to, to be careful. So you can, you know, you can do it as a sidekick. You can have another job. You can slowly build up, you know, your confidence that what you're doing is, is working, but, you know, try and get one client that will partner with you. And, you know, even if you're doing it for free for them, you know, make sure this is a viable product, make sure it's going to work. That's um, great advice. Sandy, do you have any final words of wisdom for the podcast listeners? Oh dear. I don't know about words of wisdom. I mean, I think, you know, support, everyone, motivation. Yes, <laughs> it is absolutely, you know, the most kind of, unprecedented I know that word's been so overused but it is unprecedented times right now for job seekers um, hang in there do do what you need to do to get through you know we've recommended people there's a whole lot of ideas around short-term cash so you know whether it's volunteering for medical studies or uber driving or you know talent agencies or selling stuff on ebay like you know if you need to manage your cash and and do things to get by while you look for your your dream job that's okay right now and everybody understands that um the other thing i would say is just get out i know you can't be physically out but get out on linkedin in, contribute, build your network right now. Um, if you can't find a job right now, think about in three or four months time when I start a job, what are all those things I would have liked to have had done in my life? You know, so if there's things I want to learn or things I want to experience or people I want to reconnect with, you know, make sure you're doing those things. Um, so you're doing things that add value, just spending day after day kind of on the job boards and searching is going to be a bit soul destroying. So be kind to yourself. That's good advice. Thank you so much, Sandy. Thanks for your time. Oh, absolutely. My pleasure, Renata. Thank you for the opportunity.